Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. It's strange in some ways to talk about scaling back your lifestyle in this age of raging inflation in America, living a much more basic and simple life, giving up your big house and consumer-driven lifestyle. Yet despite the presence of inflation, which really has hammered many individuals and families in America and has hurt many people, American society as a whole is still awash in mass consumerism, overconsumption and big spending. Lorraine Bennett lived the consumer-driven lifestyle in a McMansion in Northern Virginia with her husband Art and children for many years. Today, Lorraine and her husband Art have not only downsized as the kids have moved out, but they have really minimalized their lifestyle and way of life, which is the theme of Lorraine's latest book, The Little Way of Living with Less. The book has a distinctly Catholic flavor, but it is a fabulous read for anyone of faith or no faith. The Little Way of Living with Less, Learning to Let Go with the Little Flower, the Little Flower being a famous Catholic saint, Saint Therese. This book is published by Sophia Institute Press. Lorraine has co-authored six books with her husband, a separate solo book, and helped create the popular temperamentquiz.com. And Lorraine Bennett is my guest coming up. Well, it's it's funny because um, so going back to selling all the big house, right? Big yeah. house, big furniture. We had all this stuff, and um, and at first it was really really hard. I have to tell you, it. <laughs> I, I wasn't just like, oh, let's give it away, you know, to the poor. Um, I was like, you know, kicking and screaming. Before we get to my guest, Lorraine Bennett author of The Little Way of Living with Less. It's time for our latest segment of Future Shock 2.0 with Ira Wolf. Ira Wolf, welcome back to Future Shock 2.0. There's a lot of interesting data coming out on blue-collar job growth. Quite fascinating studies too. This data was a brand that just came out in the last few days from Burning Glass Institute. It talked about blue collar jobs and it really was talking about male participation rates uh, of males who have jobs in the blue collar industries. It doesn't require a four year degree, uh, doesn't require a college degree. uh, And and some of the jobs didn't require uh, really any, you know, maybe a high school diploma. So fascinating because there seems to be a real disconnect when you dig down into the data, looking at wage growth and job growth. So for instance, not to anybody's surprise, warehousing and uh, storage, uh, uh, over 700,000 new jobs were created in the last five years and wage growth kept up. So it was about 70% increase uh, in in job opportunities and a 70% increase in wage growth. But uh, construction, was uh, 700,000 new jobs, almost the same as warehousing, but wage growth was only 10%. This was real fascinating. Uh, Couriers and messengers, there was a 400,000 increase uh, jobs over that same five-year period, but wage growth went up over 60%. 
Wow. My concern with when we looked at manufacturing, manufacturing had almost 400,000 new jobs and wage growth was only about 5%. So when we look at those numbers, there's a disconnect between we created all these jobs, probably the the industries that had the biggest trouble uh, encouraging people to take those jobs, to fill those jobs, had the biggest wage growth. But it wasn't across the board in some you know high demand industries like construction, uh, manufacturing. We weren't seeing that much wage growth. Uh, I, I don't know where we go with this because we can break it down and and you know certainly looking at the data going forward, it'd be interesting to see if this was regional, uh, if this uh, you know what play this had uh, in uh, you know certain you know geographies and and, and regions. Uh, as well as, you know, what the demand in the future, if we have a recession, where is this going to be affected? Um, but I, again, we, we don't know what it's going to be, but uh, the data was certainly interesting. Well, we'll come back to it again, Ira Wolf. I'm sure on the warehousing, Amazon was driving some of that growth or a lot of it. Yeah, I, I would think, uh, you know, certainly Amazon. Um, I mean, even truck transportation, um, you know, was one of the leaders on here. It wasn't as big, but there was 120,000 new plus positions that were created in truck transportation. But then you look at, uh, you know, FedEx is, you know, putting away a lot of their fleet and a lot of people. Uh, so we're, we're going to continue to see these changes. And I think that's what we talk about all the time. Uh, future shock and never normal. That was Ira Wolf. And we'll have more from Ira next week. Ira is a workforce trends expert, author, guest speaker, and host of the popular Geek Skeezers and Googleization podcast. And there's another podcast you must go to for the latest on all things money and markets. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group, along with my good self. If you want to find out much more about what's happening in our economy globally and nationally, what's happening and behind inflation, where it is headed, what is happening in the stock market. Take a listen and subscribe to Odeon Capital Conversations. Odeon Capital Conversations is up there on Apple, Google, Spotify and more. And it is a top rated podcast on Apple. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. My guest is Lorraine Bennett. She is the author of The Little Way of Living with Less. It's from Sophia Institute Press. It's a fabulous read in our age of inflation and materialism. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Lorraine, welcome back to my show. Oh, thank you so much for having me back on. The last time you were on, you were talking about your wildly successful family board game. Uh, How's that doing? I think it's doing very well. Thank you so much for asking about it. Yeah, we've heard a lot of great comments. People are having fun. Well, it's a communication game. It's a way for people to interact. And uh, it's just all in good spirits. Now you have a new book out, um, one of a succession of books. But this one has an interesting team and it's very appropriate really to our times about uncluttering your lifestyle um the move towards getting away from materialism simplifying your life um and i need to ask you why you wrote it and what was your motivation but surely the timing was excellent because now we have all this raging inflation and everybody's trying to save a buck here and there 
and so we can't just buy as much, but you tell us about it and give us the title. The title of the book is The Little Way of Living with Less, Learning to Let Go with the Little Flower. There's a lot of L's in there. Um, but yeah, actually, the the immediate uh, impetus for me to write the book was that uh, well, we had raised our family, four kids, uh, in your typical American suburban McMansion way, way far away from work. So we each had like an hour and a half commute to work each way. Um, and so our kids are all grown up. And my husband said to me, he goes, he goes, Lorraine, do you, do you realize that we are only living in about 10% of our house? And yet we're spending a lot of time and money constantly fixing it up. You know, there's always the leaky roof or there's the other leaks and there's the, you know, the cleaning that you have to do and so forth, ongoing repairs. And in fact, he said, you know, it's really a very well-decorated 4,000 square foot storage unit for our kids' stuff, stuff they didn't, as it turns out, even want. Um, so, you know, so we decided to like ditch that. <laughs> well, uh, we decided to sell the house and downsize, get closer to work. Um, and, you know, all these things that we thought were so valuable, you know, we'd ask our kids, so what about the trophies in the basement? Do you want any of these? You know, the time you were MVP. Nope, they didn't want any of it. Off to the dump, you know. Um, and a lot of my friends had said, well, gosh, you know, this is, I'd like to do this too. In fact, it, minimalism and downsizing and decluttering. They're actually very uh, popular topics right now. So I decided to write a book about it, but not just stay on the surface. I wanted to kind of explore the spiritual realities underlying these very popular trends. You know, what are the spiritual lessons we can learn from these, uh, from downsizing, detaching, uh, decluttering, <laughs> and so on? Yeah, so it's a great uh, theme, and but isn't this really a, a specifically developed world issue? Oh, All this sure. materialism, and by extension, Catholics in developed wealthy nations would experience this more than, let's say, Christians are just regular folks in underdeveloped nations. They don't have to. They don't worry about getting rid of all their materialism. It's not a heavy burden. In fact, it's not a burden at all because they they have so little to live with. They're living paycheck to paycheck in many cases. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is one of the reasons we actually should explore these the 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 spiritual truths underlying um are vi these very first world uh first world problems that we have uh problems that we've created we've created by um buying too much stuff and we're constantly you know we have that that consumer mentality and um you know if it breaks just get a new one you can always go to the dollar store you know in in times past our my mom used to have a a little a special little thing that she would darn socks with. Can you imagine? She would like sew the socks to repair them if they had a hole in it. Now we go, I, I can buy, you know, a whole pack of socks at the dollar store for, you know, a dollar yeah. <laughs> and, and throw them away when they get a hole in them. But um, yeah, definitely. I think that it is a problem for, for America specifically. I think we're, we're probably the most consumer oriented and, uh, and it's actually a, an obligation, I think for us to, to not just, accept all this abundance 
and um, and just and oh wow, we're so lucky we have all this stuff. Let's go buy some more. Let's get yeah. a bigger house to store this stuff in. Um, no, we should we should consider what's going on here and why we're doing you know why we have this issue and so many other people in other parts of the world are are doing with with without. We'll talk about what you exactly did with your lives, how you decluttered and um, descaled and and lived a much more simpler life. But um, yes, here in America, it's an interestingly an interesting phenomena. And uh, if you look at the Catholic experience in America, uh, historically, uh, immigrants came to America, Catholics and all immigrants, they they really didn't have much except the shirt on their back. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was an earlier generation of Catholics. Catholics, and I'm generalizing obviously here, who really didn't have much and lived the way, appreciated the simple things you described, what your mother would do, darning those socks. And now if you look at the Catholic population in America, and again, I'm just generalizing, well, we're a pretty wealthy bunch, correct? Mm-hmm. And so um, has that sort of, um, it seeped into the Catholic culture? Has it corrupted any aspects of it, do you think, in that we've become so mm. attached to material things that were yeah. lesser of a Catholic person? Oh, yeah, I think you're I think you're you're right about that. I think you have a good point. Uh, I think and it's I think it's something that we should grapple with every day um, as Catholics. We should be making sure that we are um, keeping in mind our, our brothers and sisters elsewhere who are, are doing with with without. But um, but then again, on the other hand, the Catholic Church also is very good at um at, at at charity because like for example my husband who is the president of uh, the diocese here Catholic Charities um, people were so generous I mean he raised so much money for a um, they have a free clinic you know for immigrants um, they started uh, you know they had started a food pantry that not just a pantry but a you know with with trucks so they could bring fresh food to the poor people in the outlying rural areas. And we have poverty in our own nation as well. So, I mean, we're seeing that stratification, I think, between the the rich and the poor. And so I do believe that Catholics have big hearts for for charity. And I really think that uh, we've done amazing, amazing work. And also in in the area of of healthcare too, there's always been Catholic hospitals around, you know, and then the little sisters of the poor, for, for example, were just at our parish yesterday. And they're doing amazing work, um, you know, taking care of elderly who have no place to live or, you know, have no money. So it's both that we both have to con- be conscious of it. And we need to we need those of us who do have 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 wealth or money or whatever. We're doing OK. Um, we need to examine our motivation as well and make sure that we are giving to the extent that we can. And that's one of the one of the virtues that I talk about is that uh, poverty of spirit. We don't have to be running around ragged and barefoot. Um, We're not called to do that. If we have families, you know, we have to dress our (laughs) feed and clothe our children. Um, But we can have an inner detachment from material things. Yeah. Now you make very fine and important distinctions because we have to be really careful here when we talk about materialism and accumulating wealth, because Mm -hmm. I know you can clarify this or point me in the right direction. Um, The Catholic Church and Christian churches, perhaps more broadly, don't condemn wealth. It's the love of money 
that's mm-hmm. at the root of all evil. It's not money in and of itself, correct? Right. Yeah, absolutely right. And and also there's the point that you can't serve both God and mammon. So we have to examine our consciences daily, really, um, to what is our priority. And in other words, is our priority, are we spending all our days thinking about where I can, how can I invest? How can I put money away? How can I have more for myself, make sure that I've got a good legacy or whatever, you know, and, and not thinking about God. And yeah. that, we, that would be putting the, the money on top of, you know, as a, as a greater um, <laughs> good than God is. And so, yeah, that, that's something we do have to examine ourselves with. Yeah, so 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 it's an interior mm-hmm. uh, approach to to wealth, right? Um, and again, we're not condemning um, wealth making or exactly. those entrepreneurs or business people creating all these jobs. And then you mentioned how mm-hmm. in, within Catholic Church circles, we have all these wonderful agencies, Catholic charities, Sisters of the Poor, and mm-hmm. and so much good stuff happening. So tell us your lifestyle, how you kind of uncluttered. How are you leading this minimalist lifestyle, <laughs> as it were? Yeah. And that that sort of is compatible with your faith. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because um so going back to selling all the big house, right? Big yeah. house, big furniture, we had all this stuff and um and at first it was really really hard. I have to tell you, it <laughs> I I wasn't just like, "Oh, let's give it away, you know, to the poor." Um I was like, you know, kicking and screaming. And <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. You didn't have any yard sales. Oh, we did. Oh, we had yard sales. And and the thing that's so funny is we always overvalue our own things. We mm-hmm. overvalue it. It's like, doesn't anybody want this beautiful, uh, you, you know, bedroom set that we got for uh, it's solid wood for, for our kids. Look at the bunk beds. And even our own kids didn't want it. They didn't want it for their grandkids, our grandkids, you know, we're like, okay, let's give it away. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I had to be, I had to be nudged in that direction. I had to learn this process. Um, and finally we've gotten rid of all our stuff. Let's, you know, all the big stuff. Cause we moved into a very tiny space. So literally the stuff wouldn't fit. We had a big, big couch and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm not sure we can fit this in the movers. you know. And, uh, and then I had, and I had this one beloved item, right. And, and this is the thing about possessions. Our possessions can start to possess us. It's like, it's like Gollum, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, you know, where he's got the precious, the ring and he starts, it starts to be controlling him. So I had this table a beautiful Amish table that we all sat around and, and it's, it's, it's our family table, right? And I'm not going to get rid of it because I love this table, but guess what? It doesn't even fit in the dining room, in the new dining room, the downsized place. (laughs) So, so I took it apart. I like unscrew everything. I'm still keeping it, you know, and (laughs) I unscrew all the legs and everything, take it apart, fold it as much as it can be squished and stuck it under our bed. And so there it sat for months. And then somebody tells me, told me they were, I was telling them about this and they're like, well, that's it. That's terrible. Like, that's a shame. Why didn't you give that to your, you know, to give that away? Why don't you give it to your, your son and daughter-in-law? They probably need a table. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> What's it doing under my bed? You know? And this is, it's like a metaphor for what we do though, with our things, we become overly attached. This is amazing. It's really fascinating. And it's very interesting how you've done this. So you moved from this McMansion, I yeah. think in that Northern Virginia. Yes. 
and then you move to this small little house, I guess, in yes. some small town or big town or little town. Well, it's a little area of a part of a town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. a little uh, historic area uh, neighborhood that right. we moved into. All the buildings are from 1940. <laughs> and so you had to get rid of everything yes. else. Yeah. And uh, was there, um, you said the difficulties in letting go of certain things. Did you finally get over that? That you, you know, okay, I'm yes. free of all these possessions. I feel, wow, I feel liberated. Yes, actually, yeah, definitely felt that liberated <laughs> feeling uh, when I finally, yes, when we finally did. But it's something, again, it's like you have to keep keep watch on it because then after a while things start to, so in this, the new place, we have, we don't have a pantry. You know, we used to have a pantry. I had you should have seen our Y2K, you know, <laughs> you should have seen all the stuff we had in that pantry. At first it was Y2K, then it was something else. I thought the zombie apocalypse or something, who knows? Yeah. I had, I had stuff, there was stuff. You start looking at it and you go, oh my gosh, this stuff expired like, you know, 10 years ago. And yeah. you finally go through it and throw the stuff away. Well, it can happen again. It's just, I think it's the nature of human, it's the nature of human beings. Yeah, we become yeah. attached to things. We don't realize that we don't have. In fact, the interesting thing is, the more we have, actually, the less happy we are. And like, take the example of clutter. Um, neuroscience has discovered that clutter. That if you your eye sees clutter, the brain shifts into problem solving mode. And Mm. wants to take care of it and adrenaline rushes in and you start to experience anxiety. And this is all making us feel bad. So clutter literally makes us feel bad. Um, And so there's a neuroscientific reason for decluttering. There are a lot of very wealthy people in this world. You probably know some of them. And it always occurs to me that um, they have all these multiple houses. Yes. Boats, cars, (laughs) country club membership. They fine dining and so on. God bless them. I don't, you know, I wish them everything, all the best, God's blessings and so forth. But they have so little time, many of these people, to enjoy. I know that talking to Mm -hmm. them that, you know, I'd say, oh, gee, if you're a house at the country, oh, yeah, I wasn't there till it was last year. I was there in 1974 or whatever. You know, they never Mm -hmm. get any time to enjoy all this stuff. Exactly. And then it strikes you, you meet somebody of lesser means and they're telling you about all the fun they're having because they have more free time mm-hmm. hanging out with their family and their friends. There's a great irony there. I know. It's it's so true. Um, and it's funny because we, uh, my husband and I like to walk along the, this marina here in, um, in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. And we see all the boats that are beautiful boats. And I mean, it's a lovely sight. But we always are wondering we never see people taking the boats out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. on you see a few, but it's like they have the boats, but they're not, they're not enjoying these, this beautiful sunny day sailing on, yeah. on the Potomac. Where, where are they? They're probably working really hard to, to, uh, you know, to, to pay for whatever, another boat or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it reminds me of the, I heard a quote from about the uh, Roman philosopher Seneca, Um, ancient Roman philosopher. Um, And he said, we tend to hold tightly to things that don't matter. And we let slip through our fingers, that which is truly important. And he was talking about time. Time is one of the big ones. We just, we have no time anymore. It seems like we've become so busy, so hurried, so rushed and go, 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 
that we don't have time to to enjoy. And then that's actually making us unhappy as well. Yeah, well, it's like the old maxim as well, uh, picking up on that quote, the best things in life are free. And I guess yeah. that's, that's really true. But, you, you know, you mentioned something there, but you, you, you sometimes sense this awful loneliness in some of these mm -hmm big um suburban mcmansion communities and oh, again yeah. i'm not condemning them i have some mm -mm. I have great friends everywhere you oh, know yeah. and i'm not passing any judgment i want to make that clear but there's an awful loneliness you know during the daytime yeah. there's nobody running around everybody's rushed off and it, it does something yeah. kind of strange about it it is and in fact it wasn't it, it it's, it's like a new new experiment really i mean fairly new and i think after the when, whenever well, it is a new experiment it's really yeah. a post, uh, post second world war, war phenomenon yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right and before that everybody lived kind of like people in europe live which is yeah. very you know communities very lots of walking like very everything yeah. is accessible you can walk to the store you walk to church you walk you know and kids are out playing and walking and playing in the forest we saw that when we lived in germany um and the, and here, it when in the McMansions in the suburbs, you, you tend to like it's it's almost like your home is your castle, and then it's like there's there's an invisible moat around it or something because you don't have anything to do with your neighbors, and yeah. the kids are mm -hmm. just home playing video games and not you're not running out in the street because they can't really they can't do what they used to do back in the day, which was they could you know just by mom, by dad, I'm going to go, you know, play baseball with my friends down at the mm. baseball, you know, at the ball field, mm. but they can't get there because the, the way that the zoning and the, the way that we've designed our freeways and our, our roads and everything kind of isolated everybody in the suburbs. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Lorraine Bennett. She is the author of The Little Way of Living with Less. It's from Sophia Institute Press. It's a fabulous read in our age of inflation and materialism. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. You mentioned Europe there. I guess you're mm -hmm. describing some kind of like these organic communities, as some people yes. might put them, you know, organic and where yes. at least traditionally, historically, a lot of communal life was centered around the church being the yeah. center of the town. People were close by to it. And it was mm -hmm. at the countryside. There was another church within the parish. There was no gas guzzlers needed to right. get around. And we never had that. Speaking of Germany, there's, your book is in, in a sense in two parts because it really starts in Germany and then mm -hmm. comes to Northern Virginia. So yes. you had an experience early in your life in Germany. Could you tell us more about that? Right. Yes. Um, so, so we had moved to, we can, we actually were in California. Um, my husband's from California and, uh, and I had been all around, you know, as a younger person, but then I ended up in California. <laughs> and so we had two, two kids at the time. We had a, a baby who was about six months old and then a three, three-year-old. And, uh, he got offered a job in Germany and it was working with the military, uh, as a contractor. So we're like, 
yeah, let's, let's try it. Cause we didn't, you know, we were just kind of adventuresome at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so we just like packed up everything. We actually didn't have that much stuff and sold, we sold our car. We, we sold a bunch of stuff at, in hindsight. We were kind of like, why did we sell our car again? Cause the, I mean, the, the military would have moved it, you know, <laughs> we're like, cause <laughs> anyway, uh, so we basically landed with just our kids and, you know, a pack of suitcases and we ended up in, uh, we lived two places. One was Stuttgart, Germany, and the other was Heidelberg, Germany. And, uh, and, and it was tremendously eye-opening. I mean, practically everything we thought was different in, in Germany because we were so, we were your typical, like the, the big bumbling, brash, uh, loud, uh, obnoxious Americans. <laughs> we were constantly breaking all the German rules. <laughs> we would just, you know, our kids would be making noise at the quiet time of day. <laughs> I would hang out my laundry on the, you know, on Sunday, like, oh, there's a rule about that. Or sometimes we'd be late. Like if we were like a few days late with the rent, they'd be like, oh, I was just about to call the police on you. You know, like, wait, what? (laughs) No, you mean it's due the first of the month. It's not due the second or third of the month. And we were like, oh, (laughs) yeah, we had orderly German culture. Oh, very orderly. And but it was beautiful, too. Like we just we we grew to love it because we we saw that there's another way of living we didn't have to it, you know we were used to toys r us and shopping every single day every hour of the day whatever you want um and there they you know they don't they, sundays are everything is closed yeah you sunday go, closing uh, you yeah. go for a walk with your family on sunday i was like oh how beautiful that is you know they would they they just uh respected uh that time the value of time i think yeah, I remember actually you're talking about they, you mentioned they went went hiking on Sunday with your parish mm-hmm. in Germany. Uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, who grew up in Bavaria, Germany, always spoke fondly of how he enjoyed hiking with his family on Sunday afternoons in his youth. This is going back many years uh, preceding all of that, that hiking and walking on Sundays and Sunday yeah. recreation was such a big part of his lifestyle as a child. So I guess it's a German Catholic or German cultural phenomena. I guess I think it's a yeah German phenomenon. They there were so many. It was it was it was just lovely. Um, during the the nice months of the year, we would go on Volks marches and uh, we would be hiking with all these other Germans and sometimes you know other uh, other nationalities as well. Americans find it hard to understand this European way of life, and yeah. sometimes you will see criticism of it. Oh. These Europeans are not productive. They're dragging down their economies. And I, I take issue with a lot of that. Mm. Europe, Europe does have its problems. It mm-hmm. certainly does, social problems. But there's aspects of it that we could learn a lot from here in the United States. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, who makes cars better than, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, about those Mercedes, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, they... Um... So that sold the seed for what you did later when you came back to Mm -hmm. America. So you were in Germany, this is going back several decades, and then you ended up in uh, Northern Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. We finally came back and we were like, yay, no more more rules. (laughs) Shopping all the time. Hey, we can buy a big house in in the suburbs. You know, we kind of like 
I kind of ditched all of our lessons learned <laughs> and went the other direction. It was kind of probably just the, the pendulum swinging, you know, now we get to have a big house in the suburbs. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you lived in that big McMansion for many, many years. Yes. Until you yeah, finally, the, the kids mm -hmm. moved out and then you sold it. Um, I'm sure when you lived in the McMansion, there was, I mean, you lived a very happy life, you and your husband and family by, by all accounts. Mm -hmm. But was there ever any moments during that just says, oh my gosh, this is, this, I know eventually you came mm -hmm. to that realization. Yeah. But you came to the realization after the kids moved out. I mean, right. when the kids were there, would you have said, were you tempted, hey, yeah. you know, let's move out and just live a simple life? Yeah, actually, there were there were a few thoughts. At, at first, I thought the calling I was experiencing was like, maybe we should go live out in the country farther, farther away and have a little have some chickens, you know, and, oh, yeah, you know, and some goats. And then I had a friend and I said, you know, I would I so love goat cheese. I would love to maybe we could have a little farm and have some goats. And she had goats. And she goes, oh, Lorraine, you do not want goats. <laughs> she says, goats are very smelly. And I'm like, oh, they're smelly. <laughs> Maybe I don't want goats. Anyway, so yeah, we were always tossing around different ideas. And, uh, and, and but then one of the things, the bottom line really was that, that was always kind of nagging at us was um, my husband for five days a week had to drive an hour and a half each way. And I was part-time, so I was doing an hour and a half, but only a couple times a week, three times a week. And um, so this is a real drag. And so many people experience this. And this is really not a good thing about um, because they get home so late. Um, they're exhausted. You're, and if you want to have dinner as a family, you have to have it at eight in the evening. And then the kids are probably asleep by then. <laughs> so it's it's a real problem i think um and i don't know what the solution of this of that is well we're, we're kind of exploring it and maybe yeah. you know people will will share your ideas and it'll you, mm -hmm. you get a whole important debate going and it's great to hear you bring all these points up the little way of living with less learning to let go with the little flower very distinctly catholic title and a very catholic book but has widespread universal appeal i would suggest correct mm -hmm. i mean anybody I, should I read assume. this book i hope so yeah absolutely um because the 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 virtues or the spiritual um realities underlying detaching and um decluttering and so forth are really are really important for anybody it doesn't matter whether you're catholic or not um but you know the virtues of trust and simplicity and gratitude um, and, and these a charity, for example, these are all very important virtues for anybody. And, and I would like to say that whether we're, you know, minimalists or maximalists, um, we all want our homes to be these havens of peace, of light and refreshment and generosity where we are able to have people over and welcome them into our homes and treat them, uh, with, you know, humble service and and generosity and that sort of thing and i think that's what we all want and it's various different ways of going about it but i i'm just hoping that with this book that we can explore some of the ways of bringing that about 
You mentioned the problem we have today of the, you, your husband commuted then, if I got this correct, three hours a day? Yeah. One and a half did. each way. That's not yeah. unusual. And people yeah. are even now commuting four hours a day. You know, they right. were moving further and further out right. uh, from the city to, for affordable housing. You mm-hmm. know, maybe there's a change there. But we do have the, um, today, more telecommuting. Yes. You know, people working from home. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, one aspect of that is they'll have more family time. So maybe... Yeah. Maybe there's a good sign there. Oh, yeah. I think that's a upside of COVID was <laughs> was the uh, people getting to be home with their families so much more. And I think the workplace has changed uh, mm. for the better, being much more flexible. I think, you know, it used to be just like 6% or something of people, you know, ever got to tele- telecommute or work from home. And now it's like it's a huge percentage. It's dramatically yeah. changed. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. A lot of employers don't want the um, working from home full time. I kind of right. get that you do need interaction with colleagues. I'm I'm kind of on that side, but yeah. you know, let let moms and dads and ever work from home several days a week. It's to mm-hmm. me, it's just a wonderful win win for everyone. It's interesting to hear people today complain about inflation, and my God, it, it is dreadful. You know, you you mm-hmm. gas up prices, the pump have come down. Obviously, hopefully, continues to come down. But just the price of everything rising, you know, mm-hmm. foodstuffs clothing and so on and yet really it's still a first world problem because Mm -hmm. we still can get by even on our incomes it seems to me that if people sort of make sacrifices stop going to mcdonald's less and maybe more Mm -hmm. home home cooking you'll get through all this inflation yeah absolutely i think that's a really good point um and we can just do whatever we can to help out our neighbors as well um so You know, make sure that we can we contribute to the local food pantry and that sort of thing. Because if we're doing okay, uh, there's there's other people who aren't doing so well, and we need to be willing to share. I think that's, you know, Americans tend to be a little bit too, in in a sense, kind of isolated. Not we're very individualistic. That's that's what I want to say. But you know, yeah. it's good to it's good to keep in mind the other <laughs> the other people as well. Who was Saint Therese? St. Therese, uh, yeah, she, well, she was born in 1873, and uh, she died at the age of 24 of tuberculosis. She entered the convent, uh, she was at Carmel, it was a a cloistered convent at the age of 15. She only had five years of formal education. And yet, uh, when she, when she died, they published her, the obituary was her own autobiography actually because they didn't the nuns in the convent actually didn't even know some of them they they said uh well what are you going to say for her obituary she came here and then she lived here nine years and then died you know Mm -hmm. and uh well so the mother the prioress of the convent published her own words her autobiography well it it instantly practically went viral back in the day yeah. 1897 <laughs> it yeah. went viral and it went all over the world people started reporting you know i there, there's a miracle from thanks to saint therese and yeah. um they were writing into the pope and they were saying make her a saint make her a saint and uh, in fact he like the i think it was pope pius the 11th he kind of uh, he cut, you know, made it really, he didn't, uh, you know, take the normal amount of time. He just, he fast tracked her yeah, <laughs> to wow. canonization oh. and, uh, she was canonized in like, you know, 25 years, as opposed to having to wait 
50 years, which is the wow. usual. Um, anyway, so like, but the thing is, she was just, she sparked something in, uh, she just um, had this incredible way of describing her life that was very, very humble and very, very small. And she, um, she was actually kind of reacting against the, the prevailing trend in Catholicism at the time, which was, there was this Jansenistic trend, which was like, God is wrathful and evil, not evil. God is not evil, no, but, but he yeah. was this wrathful, angry very God. high dogmatic or sharp and severe yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and very, um, and, and, you know, you better watch out or you're going to go to hell at any moment, yeah. you know, and you have to mm. have severe penances and do all this stuff and, you know, constantly worry about going to hell. Anyway, she was kind of, she was in a convent that, you know, had some, you know, trends of like this and she, her, so her, um, but her, her story of a soul, which was the autobiography um, that was published was the exact opposite. It was all about a merciful, loving father, God, who is just uh, pouring out his graces upon, you know, everyone, all the little souls, everybody, and also not the great souls. So she was considered herself very, very little, very, very humble. And so that it's, it's just a beautiful, um, I'm not doing it justice at all here. Uh, no, no, you are. It's, I'm learning a lot here. This is great. Oh. Oh. Was she? She was a minimalist of her time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. She's a, the, she's small, the smallest of the small. She said, if there was anybody smaller than her, um, God would pour His graces into that person. But she considered herself the smallest of the small. <laughs> yeah. Where did the materialism fit into this? Did, did she eschew material possessions, or was that? I guess that was part of the convent's mission anyway. They weren't probably indulging in chocolate um, ice cream every afternoon. Oh, no, they they, they had their typical, yeah, they had rules and, and whatnot. Um, and, but the interesting part is that she was raised in a very uh, upper middle class. Mm. Uh, so that's, her background was quite, quite well to do, I would say. I mean, she had a servant, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and even though the parents were both, uh, you know, they had they, the the mom was a lace maker. So she had a job and the dad um, also had a job. And but so they weren't nobility, let's say, yeah. but they lived very well. And so she does write a lot about the times that she would um, she once went on a visit to some friends that were very well to do. And they were taking her all around the town and showing her the, you know, the good life. She, she was always very aware, even at this young age, she was like 14. She said, you know, that's, I don't want to go that route because that's too materialistic. So she was always on, she was always aware of that potential problem. And so she went the other direction. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to really recommend people read your book. It's called the little way of living with less learning to let go with the little flower and it's available from Sophia Institute press. Are there any other details we need here? Uh, Lorraine, before we wrap this fascinating interview up, uh, they can just go online, Amazon, Sophia, it's available. Yeah, Sophia, and while they're at it, they can also buy your board game, by the yes, way. Yeah, sophiainstitute.com is the um, address. And yeah, and I would just say like one last point that she, that's very important to St. Therese and is also very important today is that she, um, 
she talked about the importance of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And, you know, today they found psychologists have discovered that people who are grateful, who express gratitude actually are happier. Mm. And so the counter, it is kind of like it, it counteracts this, the depressing effect of the, you know, the, the clutter and the materialism and the whatnot. You know, if we are grateful for what we have, we are actually going to experience more peace and joy in, in our lives. Well, I'm grateful for this interview. How about <laughs> we close it on that? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Lorraine Bennett, thank you for being on my show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.